1: Alabama's syndicated news talk leader Right Side Radio Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios man we got the local the state the national sometimes the international and we cover down on all of the issues and like that dude just said solid conservative and just plain right well it is uh it is January the 25th it is Wednesday it Wednesday. is 206 p.m. Boomers on the board how you doing man I'm awesome You know what today is don't you I do Play it Uh-oh Guess what day it is? (laughs) Guess what day it is? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? (laughs) Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Every Wednesday, we got to play the camel. There it is, man. So, hey, congratulations, everybody. You just made it halfway through the week. You're halfway to Friday. So, um, yeah, camel day. Big doings here on Right Side Radio when it's camel day. That's, like, one of our favorites. Um, all right. We got a live show for you. We got all kinds of stuff. So, at 3 o'clock today... A friend of mine, Ryan Cantrell, who is now the National Director of Government Affairs for the American Federation for Children. That's a lot of that's a lot of syllables and vowels. But um, he is he is a school choice advocate at a national level. We met Montgomery years ago. He's going to be on at three o'clock today. This is school choice week, if you haven't heard. And whether we're going to see any true measure of school choice in the legislature this year remains to be seen. But we are hearing more chatter. So Ryan Cantrell will be on at 3 p.m. to talk about that from the national perspective and what he sees in Alabama. And then at 4 o'clock today, it's Wednesday. It's not just Campbell Day. It's also Grand Council Day. So, yeah, the Grand Council today with a substitute for Dale Jackson. We got Yaffe and Jeff Poor coming on at 4 o'clock, ping each other with questions, and then see how we do. Uh, the Grand Council, 4 o'clock. And then I've got a full Triple Dipper, so hit it, dude.
0: The Triple Dipper three stories you've
1: got to know. That's right. The triple dipper, three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, school choice is a choice. It kind of sounds like common sense, but yet the reality is this, there will never be a measure of school choice in this state that is worth its salt unless the legislature makes the choice to go after it. It's going to have to be a determined effort on their part. The teachers' union is going to fight it tooth and nail. They're going to have to have your backing, by the way, to get this. School choice is a choice, and if we want it here, it's going to take voices, it's going to take action, and we need it. Number two on the triple dipper, the war on gender. Good gosh. I mean, for the love. At what point are we not going to just go ahead and recognize that this is not just people wanting to know their own truth, people wanting to have their own say. No, this is a war on gender. If they can tear down gender, they can tear down anything. If they can tell you that, biologically speaking, a man can be a woman, then they can tell you anything. So it's the war on gender, number two on the Triple Dipper. And then number three, I began to see some things this morning as I was resourcing the show. And I've got number three labeled as policy matters. It's a spin. It's a play on words. Policy does matter, but we're going to talk about policy matters. Yeah, you get it? But the reality is this. Policy may not be law, but policy does create issues. Policy also creates people's feelings that they can pursue things that they never would have been allowed to pursue otherwise. Policy matters. And we're going to talk about that, and I'll give you some examples. Number three on the triple dipper. All right, that's, I mean man, that's a lot. I'm just saying. But, um, but I'll tell you what, let me jump over to my comments now, my opening monologue. And, and those of y'all that are new to the show, uh, every day, uh, welcome, by the way, every day we start the show after introing what the show is going to include, we also head into my monologue. I do this every day. We call it the right side way. Today, I got to start off by saying this. There's an old saying, That hard times create strong men, and strong men create good times, and good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. I I believe that statement rings true, really. It's a statement that talks about the cycles of culture, any culture, and it shows that people will rise to their circumstances, and that when we go through hard times, we focus on what's really important, really true. And then by doing so, the cultural character is strengthened. But when times are easy, people get soft. They lose focus, and too often they begin to major in the minors by focusing their energies on things that don't build good character. And that creates more hard times, and the cycle starts over. Unfortunately, I believe that we're seeing so much in our current battles against woke culture here that I believe it's evident that we as a nation, as a culture, have apparently had it too easy. How far into the cycle we are right now, I don't know. But I believe what we are seeing right now with all the woke policies and woke efforts and woke transitions and wokeness in general that are being perpetrated on us as a culture is that we as a culture have apparently had it too easy, and as a result, too many have lost their focus. Trivial matters have become the order of the day. Now, I have a friend who many years ago took a trip to the former Soviet Union. It was the era of Glasnost in which the Iron Curtain was starting to fall, but there was still an air of secrecy and difficulty, especially for Christians. My friend told me that while he was there, he met with members of an underground church, and while he was with them... He was, he was, you know, ministering and doing what he could. He told one lady there in America, we're praying for you. And her response was shocking, and I've never forgotten it. She replied to him, oh, no, we are praying for you in America because you have it too easy. This is from a lady who faced actual persecution, actual risk of imprisonment from meeting with others to share a faith-based experience. But see, she knew the secret. It was their shared risk. It was the hard times that they were in that grew their character and strengthened their faith. And that lady knew that if we have it too easy here in America, that even our faith can slide as we lose focus and start majoring in the minors. That whole thing reminds me of another experience. So in Afghanistan at the start of the war, I lived among the Afghan people of the northern provinces. I was not on the base. I lived actually among the people. Over time, as I grew used to some of what I was seeing and interacting with every day, I began to notice more and more details. You know, one of those details was how many mud brick houses in the more rural areas had whole walls that were covered in what looked like, I don't know, mud patties. Now, keep in mind that mud brick houses were already an indication that you were among the poorest of the poor. Anyone can make mud bricks and build a wall, but if you had money, you paid for fired bricks that were baked in a kiln, and unlike mud bricks, the fired bricks could last forever. So, very often on the side walls of a dilapidated dwelling made out of mud bricks, I would see these patties. They look like Frisbees made out of mud. They were about that size, about the size of a Frisbee or a dinner plate. And they lined the walls, and usually on the sunny side of the building, they were stuck in row after row, sometimes dozens of these dried-out patties all stuck to a wall. So one day I asked one of my interpreters about them, and he said, oh, sir, those are toppy. Toppy, as I came to understand, is animal dung that's been collected, and mashed, stomped on to make it uniform in consistency, to add straw to it to give it body, they pat it out into flat discs and they stick it on the walls to dry. In the colder months, toppy is burned in their homes for heat. Stoves burn toppy for cooking. There were people who actually made toppy patties and sold them for food money or traded them for other things they needed. We're talking about trading dung. We're talking about burning dung in your house to cook. Now, on the one hand, we would use the idea while we were there as a joke. Sometimes we called call each other toppy heads, or complained that the food was nothing but toppy on a plate. But the reality of what toppy was struck me and stuck with me for all these years. These are people who know of no other means to cook or provide heat than to hand-collect animal waste, dry it out in the sun, and burn it for fuel. Now, just yesterday, I presented a story on the show about a researcher in England who declared that people who bring cake to the office for their co-workers are actually causing harm. Now, cake is a woke issue, it appears. hmm Today, I ran across a story in which a state attorney general is taking action about a drag queen presentation at a middle school breakfast that parents were not apprised of in advance. When did it become okay to circumvent parents on issues, any issues? Mm. I have another story of a 10-year-old or 11-year-old who has allegedly been a transgender activist since he was just five, and he's moving to another state to get away from so-called transphobics in his community. Let me suggest this. It's his activist mother that has made him an activist since he was five years old. And by the way, 11-year-olds don't move themselves across state lines. Mm. So in a country where they burn toppy for heat, they major on the majors. In a country where they burn toppy for heat, they would love to have some of the extra cake that people in our country take to their co-workers. But in a country where it's become commonplace for small children to be seen as hero activists telling the world that boys can be girls... Well that's a classic case of majoring in the minors because we have apparently become so culturally soft that we no longer see the need to major on the majors. The signs of the times are everywhere, and yes, there is resistance to wokeisms, and I'm glad this show has a chance to provide some air cover to those who want to push back on it all. But make no mistake, the underlying thread is not just the agendas of this group or that group, or who got elected, or whether or not Hunter Biden's laptop's ever gonna see the light of day, or whether we can get to net zero emissions by twenty thirty five, or whether they can ever convince us that eating bugs is as good as eating bacon or that cow flatulence has to be stopped. See, those are all symptoms. Those are wokenesses. Those are minors. Those are just symptoms of a larger problem, symptoms that clearly indicate that that sweet lady in the underground church in the Soviet Union was right, that perhaps in America we've got it too easy. And because we've got it too easy, it creates soft or weak people, people who choose to major in the minors, and create solutions for problems that they invent. Now, I personally don't want to see us get to the point that says that we've gone so far that we've entered into that part of the cycle of culture where good times have created weak men, and weak men are now creating hard times. We need more people who are strong enough in character to tell all the toppyheads to quit majoring in the minors. And that's a wrap for The Right Side Way. There you have it. There's your new phrase, toppy heads. I'm just telling you. But but think about it. Can you imagine? We, we've got so much to be thankful here, but at the same time, our culture has gotten so soft that we can do things like say that bringing cake to work threatens people, or that 11 year olds can be trans activists. No, at that point, literally, I'm not sure that we're better off than the people who are burning Toppy to heat their homes. Just saying. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, just plain right. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams right-side radio. Solid conservative, just plain right. I am uh, <laughs> I got some awesome text messages already flooding in. By the way, if you want to text in, the text lines are indeed open. The number here 833-687-4448. That's 833 right That's the call-in and text-in number for both. Uh Boomer, have you seen some of these text messages? Was oh right, through. I know. Um <laughs> And so, uh, yeah. So like, one of them cracked us up for sure. Oh, you know, several of them cracked me up. <laughs> um, I got, uh, I got one, uh, Bob from Decatur is camel day. He wants to know if Camilla Harris <laughs> has anything to do with a name. And, he says, and I, anyway, big laughter for that. Raven from Russellville. He texted in and goes, cow flatulence. How about human flatulence? And I said, especially in this studio. And he said, mandatory gas mask. <laughs> so, uh, James from Owen's crossroads, um, Wow, where was it? I just lost my spot. Uh, anyway, says, keep up the good work. And he also has um, uh, some things about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion being the antithesis of what Dr. Martin Luther King stood for. Yes, sir, I agree. Um, Gary from Athens. Uh, uh, by the way, this is cool. So remember we had that thing, Boomer, uh, a few weeks ago. We had... Um, um, Annette Funderburg, she's the, the, the president of Ingram State, where they, they educate yeah. prisoners. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was an awesome story. Yeah, well, Gary Mathens is the one who connected after the show, and he said that, um he, was, uh, um, he was listening to the show, heard that whole thing about how they put people to work and get them back into society, and his company was willing to take some of those and employ them right away. He already he told me on the text line he connected with them after the show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that, man. That's man. huge. That's why we do this stuff, absolutely. Um, Chappie from Madison says, uh, Phil, great monologue. I'm old enough to remember when absolutes were challenged in our schools. Bible reading and prayer were removed, and the church was relatively silent the entire time. And he asked the questions, in what ways do you think the church is positioning itself, herself, it says, today to avoid the same type of malady with regards to woke culture? Well, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, uh, Chappie. There are times when I get, um, I get bummed by churches not speaking up, but I just had a great conversation the other day um, with a very well-known uh, black pastor uh, here in the state and and he said, Phil, I've decided I can't sit silent anymore and um and we talked about some issues that he's just very in tune with and um and he said i, I you know what he said I can encourage people on the side he said I think it's time to get out there and put my name on it and and I just i don't, I love that so chappie, I guess to encourage you yeah too often the church sits by the wayside they think that you know they're supposed to be the uh um as opposed to the uh, Good Samaritan, they act more like the, the, the Pharisees who walk on the far side of the road to avoid the conflict. And we need them to get their hands dirty. And uh, so I, I'm hoping that we're going to see more and more of that because the church has to speak out. Great great text, Chappie. Uh, JT from Lacey Springs, <laughs> he says, well, toppy is a good co-word to go along with Jack jackassery. <laughs> he says, it's safe to mumble toppy in a woke conversation. They won't know what it is. Uh, a bunch of toppy heads. Jeremy from Huntsville. Uh, Jeremy from uh, Huntsville. just says great, great wisdom. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jeremy. Thank you. And then here's a cool one, Boom shakalaka So every day, you know, Just Love Coffee has been with us almost the entire time this show has been on the air. I do, a, I do a, kind of a readout for them at some point. They also have their ads running. Um, Travis, who runs Just Love Coffee at both locations in Huntsville, uh, I just texted him to let him know that Mike from Huntsville texted in and said. He he went to the Huntsville location of Just Love Coffee after I did the thing yesterday about being a hero at work, and loaded up on barista. You see the picture there? Oh wow! I mean, he loaded up. Barista loaded up on boxes, barista boxes, and and, and muffins. Yeah, all I mean, kinds, all of, kinds stuff. of stuff. Cookies, pastries, looks like pastry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm officially hungry wow. now. Wow. But anyway, that is that is as that cool. That's that's a clear that's really indication cool. that that folks respond to what we're saying on here in uh, favorably, and they and they appreciate it when. There are other businesses that support the mission of Right Side. And I, so thank you, yes. Mike from Huntsville. That's for awesome. Us know. That is way cool. Um, all right. Hey, plenty of stuff. Plenty, plenty, plenty of stuff to cover down on today. Not the least of which is going to be the first topic we're going to hit in the uh, the Triple Dipper, school choice. I've titled this next section we're going to get into here in a minute called School Choice is a Choice. Now, there is there is more rumbling, I guess, this year than I've heard in recent years. And when I say that, I'm talking about the unsolicited statements being made by legislators and leaders around the state about school choice being more viable this year. Now, the question I have is, what does that mean? Well, we've been talking about it. We're going to do something whoop, whoop, and on a scale of one to 10, here's a two. No, we don't want that. We want something that's meaningful, something that's going to help our kids who are trapped in a failing school merely because of their zip code and their parents don't have the ability to move them somewhere. And I'm going to tell you, by the way, when we get back about a state that literally just yesterday became the new leader in school choice here in the nation. The governor signed a new bill, and it just basically is a complete revision of how education should be looked at in their state. And I'm wondering, are we going to get there in our state? Because, folks, when you're last in the nation, there's nowhere to go but up. And when you're last in the nation, but you keep doing the same things over and over again, it clearly indicates "Mm, perhaps there's a a problem, all right? And then secondly, you cannot say that money's the issue, which is the first thing that Democrats always say. We don't fund education enough. We fund it more than quite a few other states, and they still rank higher than us. How about that? It must be what we're doing with it, right? All right, folks, y'all stay tuned. We got plenty more. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. All you right-side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Bill Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain Plain right, boomer. Were you just wondering what I was doing back here?
0: Like, I even turned around. Is, I was like, uh, did he you hear me? Is he going to talk? What's he doing?
1: I was texting. I was texting. I've got two TVs, two computer screens, a full board right in front of me, and and all your stuff too. And I'm I was texting. <laughs> too much. Too much stimuli. Too in, much. Too much. Hey, uh, real quick. By the way, I got a uh, text right here from Colin from Decatur. Uh, Colin says, uh, why legislate into school choice when they need to legislate out of no child left behind that he says ruined public education? Well, uh, okay. So first of all, Colin, I will say you're talking about federal versus state. All right. So no child left behind was a federal act of Congress that was uh, put in, uh, in place and signed by governor Bush back in 2002. Um, and it actually was legislated out. They replaced it in December, 2015 with the every student succeeds act, um, and uh, so, yeah, that that that's done. But you're also you're also in apples and oranges here. School choice, the manner in which school systems are run, is a state level issue. If we federalize everything about um, education, then it's one central office, and I guarantee you, the special interests will wreck it. So what we're looking at here is school choice is a 10th Amendment issue. It's a state's issue. It's the ability for states to have determination as to what is best for their school systems for their kids. And I, and I, would, I would hesitate to, to say that, 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 that kids come first all the time. They don't too often. They don't come first. Uh, I'm sorry to say it, but they, the school systems have so often had the sway. Here's the thing. I'm going to start this conversation off with the philosophical underpinnings for a conversation on school choice. If you believe that tax dollars for education are there for the system and not for the child, then you're part of the problem. If you believe that the system has the better say in what is right for a child than the parents or legal guardians, then you are part of the problem. It's about as clear as I can get it. I'm just going to be honest with you. The reality is, as conservatives, the position should always be that tax dollars are there for the benefit of the child's education, not for the system itself. Feeding the beast is not what we're supposed to be about. It's feeding the child's ability to be educated. And at the same time, parents, households, legal guardians, whoever it may be that has the legal and and really moral authority to raise that child is the one who should have the better say. Now, I, I, I know there's going to be one-offs. There's going to be situations where you've got some lousy parents or you've got some kids you know, being brought up in, in horrible environments, and I get that. That's the exception as opposed to the rule. The vast majority of households in this nation are stable. The vast majority of households in this nation are doing what they can to do the best for their kids. And the vast majority of households in this nation deserve to have the first say in what happens for their kids' education. It just They just do. All right. Now, having said all that, where are we right now? Well, we're last in the nation. <laughs> I mean, come on. And oh, by the way, it has continued to go down even though we have been upfunding education like you would never believe. So when I got elected in 2010, you know, walked in the doors for the first regular session of 2011, didn't even know where the bathrooms were. You know, as I was trying to figure out the whole statehouse thing, how do I, what are the rules around here? Where do, where do I sit? You know, what's, anyway... All that to say, I immediately was aware that we had an issue, and that issue was not money. And I used to see it used to drive me crazy. I would see Democrats go to the podium and they would argue that we don't fund education to a high enough level, but you could never get them to say what the high enough level was. So, how about this? If you're going to make a claim like that, be able to back it up with a metric. So, We would have these debates. Well, we don't fund education enough. We're defunding education and we're making it hard. No, we're not. When you begin to look at the actual numbers, you find that I believe there are eight or more states that fund at a higher level per pupil for their education systems than we do. Excuse me, we fund higher than eight of them. That's why it's hard to say. We fund at a higher level than eight or so other states, and yet we rank lower than them. Why is that? because they're doing something different with the money. Well, Phil, we got schools where the parents don't participate, and we need, we need parental involvement. We need the PTAs, and, and they can't even they have to bring toilet paper to the school. I, I get that. I get that. I understand that. And I do know that there are school systems in this state because they come in, a, in an affluent neighborhood that they they have the ability to do things out of their own pocket sometimes and upfund their own capabilities while there are schools in deprived areas or underprivileged areas that don't have that. I get that. Why would you trap someone in their zip code? If that's your argument, then you just made the argument for choice. If your argument is, well, those those kids that are, you know, they're living in affluent neighborhoods, they've got it going on. How about this? How would you feel? if some of the kids who come from the less affluent neighborhoods had an opportunity to go wherever their parents deemed most fitting. Wow. You going to let it happen? Huh? You going to put your money where your mouth is? Well, you, those, they don't, their parents don't need to, they need to do more. Do what more? What, what What is it they should do? What they should do is have the ability to say, I'm tired of this. I want better for little Johnny. I want better for little Susie. I want them to have a place. Where they can go and get educated without fear of gang violence, or a place where they can get educated with with you know uh, actual teachers who care about what they do. I want I want them to go to a place where when I drop them off in the morning, I know I can still pick them up in the afternoon because everything's okay. I, I, you know I, where the where the facilities are are more up to date. And well, well then they're gonna they're gonna come in and they weren't the ones who paid the local taxes that made some of that happen. Get over yourself. I can't help that you might pay more taxes in one part of the state than you do in others. But that's a farcical argument because they're bringing their tax dollars with them if you do school choice right. So here's the thing. Fox News. Storyline dated yet today. Uh, Last night. Last night. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signs historic school choice bill. She says we will fund students, not systems. There you have it. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed an unprecedented school choice bill called the Students First Act on Tuesday, allowing any Iowa student to use public money to pay for private school tuition or, or other expenses. She says for the first time, we will fund students and not systems. She says parents, not the government can now choose She's like saying everything I just said. Parents, not the government can now choose the education setting best suited to their child regardless of their income or zip code. Iowa has affirmed that educational freedom belongs to all and Iowa is now, by the way, the third state to do this. They are the third, I think Oklahoma and Arizona have also passed similar measures. And then we have other versions of school choice around the nation that are far more substantive than what we have here. So question, do we have school choice in Alabama? Yes, uh, in part because uh, the crowd that I was with uh, from 2010 through 2018, we, we put it in place. It had never been there before. We now have a modicum of charter schools, and we now have a a modicum of choice in that we have a thing called the Alabama Accountability Act that allows you, if you're in a failing school, the bottom 6%, you can apply for a scholarship that that you might be able to take with you somewhere else. But it's limited. It's an application process. There's no true freedom. You're kind of constrained. You hope you can get picked. And, and it still even depends then upon people who will fund those scholarships. Um, so... Do we have some school choice? Yeah, and I was proud to help pass it. Do we have enough? Heck no. So going back to the story from Fox about Iowa, the state of Iowa. It says parents can use these, they call them education savings accounts. Basically, it's like money set aside for your child. Parents can use the ESAs or education savings accounts for private school tuition, for tutoring, for textbooks, for curricular materials, for special needs therapies, and more. And they said they've already seen success using ESAs in Arizona. And the, 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 the person who's speaking here, a, a national education advocate, says Iowa is the third state to pass universal school choice, but it's the state with the heaviest foot on the accelerator. In other words, they're doing more, they're doing it faster, they're doing it now. Um, points out that a similar bill passed the Florida House of Representatives, um, and, uh, and I think it failed to move on from there. This thing, by the way, if, you're, if, if legislators are at all worried, if they're, if they're the kind that put their finger in the, in the wind to find out whether or not the polling says what they should or should not do, just know this, folks. This overwhelmingly polls favorable, and it's a bipartisan favorable. You put school choice in place, ain't nobody going to argue. The only ones who are going to argue are the ones who are listening to what the teachers' union is telling them to say because the teachers' union are the ones that hate this, and they hate it with a passion. Why? Because they lose control. And why else? Because it shines a light on ineptitude. Because here, here's the thing, when you have school choice, it's like having the free market. So here's an argument for you. If you're sitting there talking to somebody, you know, maybe they're a dyed-in-the-wool teacher's union person, or maybe there's someone who just doesn't get it. Here, here's, a, here's an analogy. Let me paint it for you this way. I've said it before on the show, but I'll say it again. Let's say you move to a small town. You move to a small town, and you realize quickly when you get there, there's only one grocery store. Just one it's not a big town, but still you kind of would have thought there might have been more but anyway, just one and you go there and it's like, wow, they got crappy produce you know the the, the milk is like marginal on the on the on the dates you got uh, you, you're constantly trying to find the right uh, brands and it's like they're serving off brands and you know and you look at it and go okay I mean I can feed myself here and I guess we'll be okay but this is not a great selection what a what kind of grocery store is this then you find out, this is the only grocery store allowed to be in that town because the city council passed a vote. And they voted to not allow any other grocery store in. And when that happened, the grocery store you're stuck with didn't feel like it had to compete anymore. The grocery store you're stuck with knew that it had a commanding lead in the market, if you will. They weren't going to have to up their game. They weren't going to have to do anything special. They weren't going to have to make sure that you had what you wanted It was only what they wanted. And so they just got mediocre at best. And then one day, a group of folks goes down to the city council. And they petition, and they, they get the authority for another grocery store to be allowed in the town. Another one down the road. And it comes in. And, it man, next thing you know, people are flocking to it. They have the best produce. Their meat department is awesome. The, the customer service is better. You're getting things you couldn't get before. And all of a sudden, the old grocery store... It has a choice. Either A, it ups its game to compete and bring back its customers, or it folds up and goes away. The only place in the world where we reward mediocrity with more money is in government. So you can have a failing school and they will get the same money next year. They can be mediocre as all get out and they'll get the same money next year. And I'm just telling you, folks it's because they have no competition and they know the zip code tells them that they're okay. And I got news, we've got to get away from that if we're ever going to see education in this state rise to a new level. Period. All right. Boomer, that's like a whole separate monologue, man. I just I just that was totally off the cuff. But I'm I'm telling you I'm passionate about this. Go ahead and take us to a break, boom, but I I am passionate about this. You, in case you hadn't figured it out. But I am. I mean, the free market can can make your school systems stronger, not weaker. And, and, the tr- and the reality is, parents deserve to have the right to move their child where it's best for the child, and the education tax dollars are there for the child, not the system. By God, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. So apparently, Boomer, just uh, reviewing some of the texts that we've received, uh, we are coining quite the Right Side Ruffian uh, th- uh, dictionary of terms. Uh, we, we now have Jack Wagon, we have jackassery, and we have Toppy Heads. Ooh, so There you go. Yeah. that's. Uh, I'm not sure that it's good for me to be known for those things, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you know, what do you do? So um, anyway. All right. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, um, story here on CBS 42, right here in the news, WIAT down yonder in Montgomery. Um, Alabama lawmakers, it says, are likely to consider school choice legislation. So I said this earlier, I am noticing um, more unsolicited statements in favor of school choice sort of percolating to the surface um, than I've seen in years past. Uh, a lot of times it's duck and cover, don't talk about it, don't make eye contact. Or if they do, they're one-offs by somebody who does not have the rest of the body joining with them to make it happen. Um, and, and right now, though, we're seeing, okay, so Governor Kay Ivey did proclaim this as Alabama School Choice Week, but they do that every year. That's no big deal. Uh, Governor Ivey also said that there were comments made in her um, recent uh, uh, speech as she uh, was sworn in uh, for her new term, um, when she said that uh, school choice was was an important concept that needed to be considered, okay, what does that mean? I think she said it's also important that we have these discussions. Well, okay, how about we've been discussing this for a long time, Governor, and you were there for most of it. So, and you're also the de facto uh, uh, head of the state school board. So it's time to quit talking and start putting, you know, the pedal to the metal. But right now, we got uh, other legislators, and I love the fact that we got freshman legislators who are not afraid to make some noise. So here's one freshman representative Susan DeBow says she thinks there could be enough support in the legislature this session to pass a school choice bill. She said, I've heard from almost every new legislator, they are for school choice. I've heard from our Speaker of the House, Nathaniel Ledbetter, who said the same thing here in our studios, but about uh, five weeks ago. Um, she's from Hoover. She says, I think this might be the year. Uh, Dubose says she's considering being a sponsor or a co-sponsor for school choice legislation, says the goal is to let the money follow the student by putting parents' tax dollars in the district they choose for their child rather than the one they live in. Uh, she notes that in her part of the district uh, of Jefferson County, part of her district is in Jefferson County, says there are 17 schools performing in the bottom 6%. Yeah, Jefferson County is, is, is hurting when it comes to the number of uh, failing schools in their area. And she says, what I said earlier, she says she hopes that school choice will create competition that ultimately helps all schools to succeed. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. But, of course, we immediately had the response. Um, CBS 42 went and got the, uh, uh, the you know, the, sort of the rebuttal comment, which is typical. I mean, you, and that's, by the way, that's not bad reporting. But what I'm saying is it, what was said was typical. Uh, she went to Representative Barbara Drummond, a Democrat. Uh, Drummond says it's about equity and resources. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure she does either. It says it's equity and resources that need to go to the school struggling before more funds are diverted. Well, I got news. Before funds are diverted, if a child leaves the school, you don't need the money attributed to that child anyway because you're not having to be the ones who care for them, feed them, or teach them. So if, if, if kids are leaving a school, it's because the school was sorry. If they're seeing an opportunity down the road and they want to take their kids to another school, well, they wouldn't do that if your school was on par. So basically, you're just saying it's not about what you need, parents. It's about us feeding the system. Got to feed the beast. Well, chair of the House Education Policy Committee, Terry Collins, who's been on the show more recently, she also weighed in saying that she felt like there was going to be something, that this might be a year that we could get something done, Um little mediocre there. She chairs the uh, House Education Policy Committee, so I'd like to see more leadership from Terry Collins on that um, because Terry is the kind that people listen to. When Terry Collins gets something, you know, basically a burr under her saddle, she gets stuff done. And so I'm hoping she's going to get a burr under her saddle this year to say we're doing school choice, let's get moving. And if she has the backing of the Speaker of the House, the House is going to do it, then it comes down to the Senate. Where are we at? Well, tomorrow, if all goes well, we're going to have uh, State Senator Clay Schofield, who is the um, majority leader in the state Senate. But I'll tell you this, Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth, who presides over the Senate, he's not a voting member unless there's a, a need to split the a tie. But he came out, though, and he said, in regards to school choice, he said it's about giving students and their parents the freedom to choose. And he holds up Florida as an example. He says... Parents need to have an option. You look at Florida, 700 charter schools, 600 magnet schools, thousands of students have gotten out of historically failing schools. Those kids have a choice. Their parents have a choice. We've got to do the same in Alabama. That's good to hear the lieutenant governor saying that. Now, he has the safety of his position. He can't carry a bill. He can press for things. I'm hoping his influence will mean something. But the reality is this. We need the people who can put the boots on the ground to get busy. All right, folks, coming right back, my friend Ryan Cantrell from American Federation for Children coming on to give us some commentary on the national and maybe the state perspective on school choice. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right
0: you're listening live to right side radio with Phil Williams it's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side right side radio solid conservative and just plain right
1: Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international, we cover down on all of the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, uh, those of y'all that have been listening to the show for a while know that on uh, more than one occasion, we've had a national spokesperson Uh, on the question of school choice, Corey DeAngelis, come on the show. He's with the American Federation for Children. The person who helped me coordinate that, though, is a a friend of mine, Ryan Cantrell. And Ryan, uh, we met each other in Montgomery years ago when I was in the legislature and he was working there. Uh, Ryan is now the National Director of Government Affairs for American Federation for Children. And I thought, what better person to go ahead and bring on and talk about school choice during School Choice Week, my friend Ryan Cantrell. Ryan, how you doing, man?
2: I'm great. Good to see you, Phil. Uh, Talk
1: to you. Absolutely. Thanks for making some time. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Hey, let me ask you, uh, first of all, you guys work on a national level, I know. um, And uh, American Federation for Children is one of the lead advocates for school choice. Uh, How do you feel about the the legislation just signed in by the state of Iowa uh, for, you know, uh, education savings accounts?
2: I mean truthfully, twenty twenty three could not have gotten off to a to a better year and or a better start. and I, I'll tell you, Phil, the the story of Iowa is just incredible. I mean, this is a state that a year, I mean a twelve months ago, a year ago, they pat, could not pass out of the house a smaller version of this bill. Um, they they it was a much smaller scholarship amount. It was you know very limited to a to a smaller number of students. Um, you know, due to a lot of work that was done over the last 12 months um, by by AFC in partnership with a lot of other national and local groups, um, you know, we saw that flip, um, and and then you know, of course, um, Governor Kim Reynolds. I mean, who I don't know that they're. There is no better leader out there on school choice right now um, than than Governor Reynolds. Um, And she she leaned into it. And what a great start to 2023.
1: Well, I mean, so you make a couple of points there. Governor Reynolds, it's sort of like what we're seeing with things with Governor DeSantis. Even though she does not pass the laws, she can certainly advocate and she can coordinate with the legislature and they can have a policy position that then becomes legislation. And that leadership of the executive branch does mean things.
2: Well, and and not just that, uh, Phil. I mean, as you know, I mean, yes, of course, it's important for them to have policy positions. But, um, you know, this time last year, um, you know, like I said, we couldn't get this same bill passed and we were all just so incredibly frustrated and we knew things needed to change uh, in in the state house in particular. Um, And and she was really willing to lean into that. She endorsed um, nine candidates. Um, against incumbent Republicans in the House who had voted against or who had voiced um, opposition to her ESA bill. And um, and I think eight of those candidates ended up winning that she endorsed. Eight incumbent candidates um, were beaten on school choice issues. So, I mean, for anyone who tells me that, you know, hey, listen, the folks in my district don't care about this issue, um, I would point them to those eight examples in Iowa, and I would I could show you eight folks who thought the same thing, um, and and now you know they they weren't there to vote on this bill this year.
1: Wow, that's see that's what I was about to ask you was what what changed, and it sounds like part of it was you had fresh blood came in with a different perspective, and and they they were able to bring it to bear. Was it a close vote in the legislature? Do you recall when they passed it this year, or or, or the one that she assigned, or was it, uh, it pretty was- much widely carried?
2: Fifty five forty five. Um, I wow. can tell you having been involved in it, it it felt a lot closer for a long time. <laughs> um, but um but I but I can tell you, I mean, listen, this like I said, I mean that's a ten ten to twelve um uh seat flip from where we were a year ago. And um yeah, I mean it this is a bill, Phil, I'm sure you you've talked about it or you've looked into it, but um, that in three years, every single student in Iowa will be eligible for a scholarship to go to the school that works best for them. Um, so, this is, you know, going from, from zero to every child over the course of the next three years is an incredible accomplishment.
1: Wow, I man, that is that is so amazing. And, and listen, this is, um, what do we have, uh, is it Oklahoma and Arizona are the two other states that have similar legislation in place?
2: So, Arizona, um, you know, last year passed um uh, expanded their ESA to to universal uh, in nature as well. All 1.1 million students in Arizona are eligible for an ESA. Um, that's a seven thousand dollars scholarship to to tailor make the education. You can use it for you know homeschool curriculum. You can use it for online tutoring. You could use it for uh, private school tuition. I mean, it's just this. You, it runs the gambit of what you could what you can use that scholarship for. Um, and and so those are the two states really now Arizona and Iowa that have In place, uh, or at least have passed into law, a a universal uh, school choice bill. I know there was one being discussed two years ago in Oklahoma. There was one discussed last year in Oklahoma. There'll be another one discussed this year. We're really optimistic. You know, Governor Stitt out there is a huge supporter of of school choice, and we look forward to working with him and legislative leaders on on trying to get that across the finish line. Um, and, And we're seeing these bills all over the place. I mean, Utah. Um, is, is on the verge of, of passing a, a similar type of, of, um, of legislation out there. Uh, Florida just introduced a piece of legislation that would do the same thing last week. Um, other states, I mean Georgia, Nebraska, uh, Ohio, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, other—I mean, all kinds of states uh, right now are, are exploring these uh, these opportunities. And um, and it was, you know, it's really in response to what parents are wanting. I mean, coming yeah. out of COVID, I mean. It, it was really really hard for for parents you know who, who were stuck and didn't have any other option and uh, we've seen public polling that, that shows i mean this is a this is a huge issue uh, for parents and it it's, and, and it has broad bipartisan support i mean we're we're talking at seventy percent among yeah. all voters um you know almost 70 percent among Democrats um, more than 80% among Republicans, you know, 65% plus of independents. So, I mean, this is a, this is across the board. You, you, there are no political issues out there that have this type of support. Well, um, why there aren't more that are getting on board, so, you know, who knows?
1: Well, let, let me ask you this, Ryan. And, um, I mean, you're you're a homeboy. You you spent time here in Alabama. This is an Alabama-based radio show. I spent time in the legislature. I believe you were still there. When we passed the Accountability Act, weren't you, in twenty yeah, thirteen? Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great fight. I mean, you you were help you were you were part of the, the, the group that sort of helped author that bill in the pro Tim's office, if I'm not mistaken. Um and, and so all that to say where do you see Alabama going? What, what what do you smell in the wind, if anything? And what do we need to do to convince people in our, our 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 current legislature that this is a track worth getting on?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, Alabama, I really feel like is at a crossroads right now. Um, you know, you you mentioned the the uh, the accountability act that was passed in uh, 2013, and I mean, Phil, you you just mentioned to me; you were there, you remember? I mean. I'm I'm convinced that to this day we still would not have school choice in Alabama um, had it not been for a handful of legislators who said this is what we're going to do, and um, I need you all to come along with this. Um, And and there were some political maneuverings, of course, that went along with that that some folks didn't love. But listen, at the end of the day, I'm not convinced that there was any other way that we were going to get school choice. And and the reason for that is just that the teachers union for so long in this state has had – a, a just a firm grasp on far too many legislators, um, and and listen, th- I I'm a graduate of public schools in Alabama. Me too. Um, I'm I, I still live in Alabama. Um, I'm you know, our, we homeschool our kids right now, but I'm I'm hopeful at one point to put them in in a public school, and um, you know, this is this is not a private versus public school thing. There are far too many times we get into this argument of well, you know, you just want to defund public schools. I, I absolutely not. I want our public schools to be the best schools in the nation.
3: There you I go. want
2: every school that um, that we have a child in be the best school in the nation. But what I also want is I want parents dictating, parents deciding what school that is for their kids. And if that's a public school, then fantastic. I, I, let's let's make sure our public schools are the best that they can be. If that's a home school, then then let's give the parent the resources they need to make sure that that's successful. If it's a private school, well, then then so be it. My, you know, as as advocates for education, we should not care what type of education that is. We we should all we should want is. Uh, our children to get the best education possible. Um, and so we're really at a crossroads right now where we have to make a decision. I mean, we look around us and all of these other states are moving in this direction and we're really staying stagnant in Alabama. Yeah, um, You know, and we have, we have a huge opportunity coming into the, this uh, legislative session later this year. You know, we're starting to hear some, some positive things about school choice which is incredibly exciting but at the same time you know i've i've heard positive things said about school choice for a yeah. decade now yeah. in yeah. and and until i and until we see some lawmakers that are willing to go down there um and you know and and cast a vote and really be vocal on this um we're, we're going to be stuck and um there and right now there are too many kids that um, are not getting the education they need or just, frankly, not in the environment where they need to be in to thrive. Um, and we need to do something about it.
1: Well, Ryan, I, I knew you bring some great color commentary to the situation. I also knew you had your finger on the pulse of uh, the national as opposed to that. And I'm, I'm hopeful, and we're we're up against the break now, but I'm, I'm hopeful that what we're going to see is uh, the recognition that parents are beginning to see what other states are doing and that the legislature realizes it can't just keep a lid on this. It has to begin moving towards the same things that its peers in other Republican held States are getting done. And uh, so anyway, Hey man, thanks for your time today. Thanks for the work you do on this, on this topic. And thanks for your service in Montgomery. We were there together. I appreciate you as always. No, thank you, Phil. Appreciate you having us on. Absolutely. All right. Boomer, take us to a break, man. That was uh, Ryan Cantrell. He's the national director of government affairs for the American Federation for Children. Um, he and I, we're in Montgomery together at the same time. He was one of the guys quietly in the background helping author a bill that is the, the icebreaker for school choice in Alabama. And we got to go next level now. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We're switching gears to the Triple Dipper. We'll come right back with the War on Gender. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Hey, uh, listen, I got a new texture on the line. Elizabeth from uh, Falkville, um, she just gave us her name. Boom, uh, so you can plug that in. But uh, Elizabeth from Falkville, uh, just brand new texture, and she asked the question: says, "Could you please elaborate on how charter schools work exactly? Where does the money come from to start schools, grant scholarships? If parents are given scholarships to send their kids to charter schools, is it a full scholarship?" Okay, there's a lot of things in that one question, and she also asked, "Would they even be allowed to use school lunch programs for you know, um, you know, the uh, free and reduced lunch programs that uh, federal dollars often pay for?" Okay, let me just break that down, uh, Elizabeth. Great question. Thank you very much. Here's the here's the deal: charter schools are allowed under Alabama law, uh, and they are technically a public school with a separate charter. So, whereas within the public school system, you have you know certain guidelines, you have certain uh, curriculum guidelines, you have uh, more, of, uh, more of a centralized authority uh, with the school board and, and others. A charter school is used, to, is basically set up, and sometimes it has a special focus. Sometimes it has a different way of doing things. Sometimes they do things like they can bring in uh, educators uh, and pay them differently in order to get them to move there. Sometimes they have a theme. Uh, sometimes they are more oriented to uh, like STEM or something like that. But the bottom line is charter schools are technically public schools, but they have a separate charter for how they operate. And they, under the law, they have to meet the standards of their charter within a period of time, and I'm going from memory, but I think it's three years. If they're not showing measurable statistics that match the charter that they said they would, then they can have their charter revoked, uh, and, and then they just go back to you know non-existence. But, but, yeah, there's some great charter schools and there's some weird charter schools. Um, but, but I don't believe, I don't know for a fact, Elizabeth, but I don't think there's anything that prevents the free and reduced lunch programs from being used in charter schools. Cause like I said, they are technically public schools. And I believe that even free and reduced lunches, those fundings can actually be used by private schools also, but then they, a lot of times don't because it brings with it, you know, federal stringers. They tell you what to do and they don't want that. Uh, I know of one great school, uh, that used to be on the board of uh, a private school And uh, they have a commitment to never take federal dollars because they don't want the federal government telling them how to steer their curriculum or telling them they have to use certain, you know, vernacular or whatever. Anyway, Elizabeth, hope I answered your question. And if anybody out there thinks I got it wrong, text me in uh, 833-687-4448. So this next section of the triple dipper, I already had somebody take issue with the title. The title of it is The War on Gender. I had one texter... Who was it? Chris from Madison. Chris from Madison says, first time texter here. Welcome to the show, by the way. First time texter from Madison says, have to disagree with the premise of the Second Dipper. It's not a war on gender. That's only a battle. He says it's the war on truth with God being truth. OK, you know what? I, I don't argue that point. That's fine. Um, but it's my title. <laughs> so I'm going right now with sticking with my title. It's a war on gender. But I I'd but I, I get his point, though. Uh, Chris from Madison, thanks for being a part of the show. But yeah, so the war on gender, I mean, it's, it's like, is everything polarizing, by the way? Do we have to look, Is everything have to be, well, this one infringed upon my pronouns? Or, or no, you can't have that place that is designed for women because trans women are women, too. Actually, they're not. But it'll, So, I mean, like, you remember, I brought up a story mm, a week or so ago, the Miss Universe Contest. The Miss Universe Contest, Miss Universe Contest, that's ladies, Miss Universe Contest, was recently bought out in October of this past year by a Thai from Thailand, a Thai business tycoon and transgender activist who wants to make sure that the Miss Universe Contest becomes more inclusive. So let me get this straight. We are not even allowed to have... Places where men and women can separately and distinctly compete as men and women, in whatever capacity. I don't care what your feelings are about beauty pageants. That's not the point. The point is, why? What? Go go make your own transgender beauty contest if you want to. But no, oh no no, the Thailand RuPaul has. I mean, and that's what she is. She's basically a celebrity. She's, she's And by the way, she's a billionaire. She's a very wealthy celebrity. She owns JKN Global Group Public Company Limited. I'm not sure what all they do, but they have quite the portfolio, apparently. And uh, they have established a nonprofit group called Life Inspired for Transsexual Foundation to promote trans rights in Thailand. And she acquired the rights to the Miss Universe pageant. Why? The only reason why is because it's a war on gender. They don't want there to be a place where women are women and men are men. They want there to be a place where anyone who wants to be a woman can say they are. And anyone who wants to be a man can say they are. And then, oh, by the way, what are they going to do? When they're announcing it and coming on stage right now, she, I mean, it, I mean, they, I mean, I don't know what they are anyway. And then they want to take the English language and just bend it around. So there's a war, in my opinion, on gender. And, and, And even right now, too, you know what? It's hard to even tell because there's so much ridiculousness out there on this topic. It's sometimes even hard to tell when they're they're spoofing us because there's so much junk out there. There's so many toppy heads out there that are doing this, and they're serious that when you get a spoof like the Babylon Bee, people freak out. Well, I got a story right here in the New York Post. Everybody thought it was legit. Then it turns out it was satire. But there's a reason why we can't tell, because the war on gender has become so prevalent Y'all stay tuned. I got a lot more. We'll be right back. you right side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right and we are back phil williams right side radio solid conservative and Just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. I'm going to tell you right now, this show covers some ground. Uh, We are down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville. We are Tuscaloosa, back over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Text lines are blowing up. You want to text in, you are welcome to it. The text number here is the same as the call number, 833-687-4448. Um, hey, by the way, let me tell you, ZLA Solutions, they've been with the show since the very beginning, and ZLA Solutions um, is doing an amazing job, uh, an uh, amazing job. Like, it's the biggest year they've ever had as a company. Amazing job at putting jobs and people together. So if you're looking for a job personally, then, yeah, go to their website, ZLAUSA.com. Check them out. They've got, got—they've got literally, they've got this you know great jobs posted all over the state. But if you are... Uh, an employer looking to fill out the ranks of your workforce, then yeah, check them out again. ZLAUSA.com at ZLA Solutions. They can they can do the background checks, the drug testing, the, the recruiting for you. They can do it all for blue collar, white collar, no collar jobs. It doesn't matter. And I'm just saying, it can be onesies and twosies or a whole shift of people, but ZLA Solutions is putting jobs and people together on a regular basis and doing a great job at it. So check them out. Z-L-A solutions at Z-L-A-U-S-A dot com. And please do me a favor, tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. Uh, so I'm in number two of the Triple Dipper, the war on gender. Uh, hello, by the way, to Rason from Hawaii. Racing. we're glad you're listening in. Uh, I love the fact that we got a guy from Hawaii that listens it's in. That's so cool. That's quite cool. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, listen, the war on gender. So, okay, it's, it's it just, you know, I, I talked about the thing a minute ago with the with the uh, Miss Universe contest being bought out by uh, transgender activists, you know, for the sole purpose of developing inclusivity. and I mean, they, they, they do not want to have the notion that women competing against women or men competing against men is okay. They, they don't want biologicals having any sway over the ideas of gender. It's a war on gender, in my opinion. I mean, even right now, and sometimes, by the way, things happen, and you look at it and go, why? why would we not be spoofed by that? Because we can't tell, because there's so much ridiculousness being thrust upon us. story in the New York Post came out that there was a, a group in Norway, believe it or not, in Norway, that went online and called for Aretha Franklin's 1968 hate fit, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Now, about half the audience is going to start singing that. <laughs> you make me feel... Anyway... Um, that that had to be removed from Apple Music and Spotify because it was was offensive because there was no such thing as a natural woman. Well, of course, the the world took issue. This is Aretha Franklin, thank you very much. This is a hit since 1968, thank you very much. And yet, (laughs) it turns out it was a spoof. They later came out and said that was satire. Well, how would we know? Because that's the kind of crap that happens all the time. I mean how do you how do you know that's a spoof it's like you have to look at someone and go I'm gonna say this and I'm spoofing just so you know spoiler alert it wasn't real but that's because so many times that kind of thing is real like this did you know that a w root beer changed its mascot recently now some of y'all are going who's what, what's the mascot for aW root beer well I love a and w root beer Story here on Fox Business, January twenty fourth, that would be yesterday. ANW W root bear puts pants on his polarizing mascot bear. I don't know why. I don't. I don't. I don't know why. <laughs> Boomer, <laughs> Boomer's having trouble. I am. I'm having trouble with this. <laughs> put pants on the bear. You just got to put pants on this bear. Well, he's walking around flashing people, I guess. But he was a pantsless bear. <laughs> it's polarizing. Since, for the last sixty years, apparently, no one knew. Nobody uh, knew about it. Nobody knew how polarizing it was. Until until now. Now. So AW Root Beer says henceforth, Rudy the Great Root Bear. Root Bear, get it, Root Bear. <laughs> Rudy the Great Root Bear, the mascot of AW restaurants for the last sixty years, will henceforth be wearing jeans. In a Twitter post, the company suggested that Rudy's lack of pants was polarizing. America, let's talk. It says, since 1963, Rudy the Great Root Bear has been our beloved spokesbear. We knew people would notice because he's literally a six-foot-tall bear wearing an orange sweater, but now we get it. Even a mascot's lack of pants can be polarizing. No one knows why it was polarizing, but it's believed to be that it was a question of people trying to misgender him is, is my thinking here. But the fact is, the article points out, the update in Rudy the Great Root Bear and now having to wear pants because he was polarizing after 60 years comes right on the heels of M&Ms doing its thing. Yeah. Boomer, I yeah. saw your look. Yeah. What do you you M&M's. like M&Ms? I like the little M&Ms candy guys. I love and the, the M&Ms and the, and the, and the candy, candy guys. Yeah, they're I mean they're they're hilarious. Yes. And and they're a little creepy because sometimes they they talk about eating M&Ms themselves, which <laughs> to me is cannibalism. Right. Just saying. <laughs> However, I think they're a great they're a, they're a great marketing. Um Story on CNN, dated two days ago. Maya Rudolph. I don't know who Maya Rudolph is. She's apparently a Saturday Night Live uh, personality, uh, comedian, an actress. Maya Rudolph is the new face of M and M's because the polarizing Spokes candies are taking a pause. <laughs> polarizing, Spokes candies, can't. They're cartoons, y'all. They're
3: cartoons. So
1: far, people are mad about Miss Universe. They're mad about. Rudy the Great Root Bear not having his pants on, and they're mad because the M and M's candies are doing things like, oh, I don't know, the Green Candy who always wore the high heels and kind of acted sexy when she was doing her thing. They they took her high heels off and they put sneakers on her and sort of emasculate or or, not, or defeminized her, and and everybody was like, what are you doing? There was even a there was even a uh, an online petition called Keep the Green M M&M and M Sexy, but no, they can't do it. Had twenty thousand signatures. No, they can't do it. M and M's would not heed the plea, but they they note M and M's did that even even a candy's spokesperson's shoes can be polarizing. Well, I got news. I know, but we're saying wow. Wow. But here's the thing, y'all. That seems spoofy. That seems funny. It's like okay, Miss Universe. I don't watch Miss Universe anyway. Whatever, Miss Universe. Maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's past its prime. I don't know, Miss Universe. Rudy the Great Root Bear, I don't know, pants on the bear, whatever, you know, just, just, at least he's wearing pants and not, you know, cross-dressing, okay. Uh, couldn't have the sexy green M&M. We had to go with the uh, green M&M wearing tennis shoes now. I, what, I mean, okay, was that necessary? I don't know. But then what do you do when you have official policy? What do you do when the war on gender has official policy that says things, does things, acts upon things, puts regulations in place that literally indicates a war on gender, like this. That's thick. That's yeah, it's a big one. Critics at FoxNews.com dated today. Critics of a transmasculine people with cervix language. What? Can't even. You can't. You can't make this stuff up. Transmasculine people with a cervix. Okay, let me, let me do some splaining. If you have a cervix, you are a woman. The Washington State Department of Health is taking heat for refusing to use the word woman in a recent advertisement about cervical cancer awareness. Their actual official Twitter page for the Department of Health in Washington State said quote, transmasculine persons with a cervix should talk to their doctor about cervical cancer screening and the HPV vaccine. Transmasculine, it says, is a term used to describe people who were assigned female at birth who do not identify as male. No. It says the Department of Health's choice of language was savaged on Twitter with many users asking the health department why they chose not to acknowledge women in the post. In other words, they didn't say um, women, you need to be aware of the the the, the screening of possibilities for cervical cancer. This is this is something we can control. We can help you. Let's get out there and help it. You know, awareness is half the battle. No, they had to go down the road of saying trans masculine per- persons with a cervix should. Hmm. Ta- One political commentator said, "You mean women?" <laughs> that was the response. Somebody else said, "This is mental illness." And then Jason Rance, who has a uh, syndicated show out in Washington State, he said. As the Post continued to ha- take heat online for erasing women, the Jason Rant Show reported that the Washington Department of Health de facto censored critics by hiding their responses on the Twitter thread. In other words, they didn't, want, they didn't want there to be other opinions. They didn't want somebody else to say any more about their decision to call cervical cancer awareness something that should be heated by transmasculine persons with a cervix. Y'all, there's a war on gender, and there's a reason for this. And I, by the way, I agree recently. Uh, the text came through um, from, from, I think it was, was it Chris from Madison, that said it's really a war on truth. It is. You're right. This is one example of the war on truth. I'm calling it the war on gender for right now. But, folks, what they're trying to do is literally blur the lines. And I'll tell you right now, if they can blur the lines on something as biologically unarguable as what is a male, what is a female, if they can blur those lines, then they can blur any line. If that point, it's, it's like I heard somebody say one time, the very first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if you don't believe God created the heavens and the earth, then the entire Bible is suspect. You can't get past verse one. Well, the same is true here. If they can say that men are not men and women are not women and that they can be anything they want to and gender fluidity is, is a thing, then they can change anything to be their version of truth. Because that is like the ultimate, you know, common sense thing, and yet scientifically based, and yet they say no. All right, Boomer, take us to a break, brother. We'll do that break about about 45 seconds to a minute earlier than usual. Take that break right now. We'll come right back, wrap this piece up on the war on gender, and then top of the hour, it's time for the Grand Council. Today it'll be Jeff Poor and Yaffe. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, right side radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Um, Great text coming in. We got plenty of people uh, chiming in on this particular topic. Uh, John from Huntsville says somebody needs to tell Tony the Tiger to put some pants on. (laughs) Says no one wants to see that kind of nakedness at the at the at the uh, the breakfast table. Um, And then uh, uh, Tony from Piedmont says, "Better be careful if you start sounding sane, you may wind up on the seventh floor." (laughs) Oh gosh. Uh, Jerry from Meridianville says, wait until all the grizzly bears in Yellowstone find out they're going to have to wear pants. Maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> that was oh, God. Anyway. Hey, listen, um, this, this is, uh, this, this war on gender is, is legit. In my opinion, it's real. It's, it's, and by the way, it's, it's being allowed. You know, when I, when I talked earlier in my monologue, if you heard it, if you didn't hear it, I encourage you to get it on our podcast. Uh, I talked about the fact that we've got a, a culture that has become um, so accustomed to just letting things happen that, that it's, it's because we, we are getting lulled into... Comp- we've had so many good years created by hard times that created hard people or tough people that it created good times, which are now creating weak people. And, and we're in that, that position right now where we're watching people that apparently have so much going for them that they have time to focus on things that either aren't real or that they, they major in the minors, you know, when you've, got, when you've got the ability to do things like uh, help your kid become a five-year-old trans activist, obviously you don't have many problems in your life. You've got, you've got time to do that. You're not having to burn cow dung to uh, cook your food like they do in some parts of the world. You literally have got so much that you've become so weak that you're letting these things happen. And, and I'll be honest with you, this war on gender, it's concerning to me. It's very concerning. It's concerning to me when I see people perpetrating it on our kids. And I understand, by the way, that when someone reaches the age of majority, which in Alabama is 19, is different in other states. When someone reaches the age of 19, I recognize they can make decisions. That's just part of it. That's, you know, and I, whatever, if you're not violating the law, but you're making a decision about, you know, the, the social fabric of your life, the cultural fabric of your life, your faith-based issues, things, all these things, if you, if you want to make a decision about a lifestyle issue like, you know, being transgender or whatever, I get it past the age of 19. I don't get it when it's being pushed on kids like this one, foxnews.com. Story that came out today. Non-binary teacher. What is non-binary? I don't have a gender. Yes, you do. Non binary teacher boasts on changing students' genders without the parents knowing. They need protection. Well, I, first of all, I will say this. The vast majority of people who teach in this country are also offended by this. It's not like this is the education mantra, all right? I guarantee you, her coworkers, this person's coworkers, this, this female who calls herself non binary who teaches in California, I guarantee you, her coworkers are offended by her acts. But I'll say this too, her co-workers need to start speaking up. California teacher named Olivia Garrison bragged about helping students hide their social transitions from parents on Monday. Fox News Digital found that Garrison, a ninth grade history teacher, works at Del Oro High School in the Kern High School District in California. Social transitioning is the first step for transgender children. It adopts, It entails adopting new names and pronouns, changing their clothing, getting haircuts to match their preferred gender expression. The New York Times reports... Olivia Garrison, a history teacher there in the Bakersfield area, who is non-binary, has helped students socially transition at school without their parents' knowledge. Her quote, My job, which is a public service, is to protect kids, and sometimes they need protection from their own parents. Yeah. No. How about this? No. They go on to cite others, a Maryland teacher who did much the same, a uh, a middle school teacher in Montgomery, um, uh, I think that's Montgomery County in Maryland. Um, you've got another one in Minneapolis, and, and granted, I, and, and you got another one in uh, Los Angeles. Here, you got another one. Um, it just, it just goes on and on and on. Talks about some of the books they use, the means by which they sneak it into the classroom, and then others don't even try to hide it; they just do it. But their coworkers don't say a word. And I, I do know. I know. By the way, I've got educators in my family. My wife was a private school educator. I've got got other members of my family that were public school educators, and they're offended by this. But if it happens in the workplace, you got to say something. But here's another one. This is where it gets sad. And by the way, I know for a fact this happens in Alabama because there was a situation uh, here in our listening area uh, where this very thing was happening at about this age. NBC News is all in, man. NBC News is all in. Here's a story from NBC. that was dated July of last year. It says, Texas trans activist, 11 years old, flees the state after years of advocacy. First of all, there should not be an 11-year-old activist of any kind. And 11-year-olds don't flee the state. It doesn't work that way. It says, Kai Shapley, Kai, K-A-I. Kai Shapley, an 11-year-old transgender activist in Texas, is leaving the state after having fought anti-trans bills there since she, she, he was five. Five. Look, y'all, I've raised kids. I've got two grandbabies. Boomer's got kids. Five years old, does not know how to make decisions on what to be an activist about. Five-year-olds are figuring out what foods they like. Five-year-olds are still trying to decide what books they want to have read to them before they go to bed at night. Five-year-olds have their favorite cartoons, and they want to know if they can watch another cartoon. Five-year-olds play, and they're just learning to read. Five-year-olds can't tie their shoes. Five-year-olds are not activists. This is a mom who's an activist. This is a mom who's an activist that is perpetrating this on her child to make the child her vicarious activist. And yet, little Kai says on a social media post, my mom sold our home and everything that doesn't fit in our car because the state I was born in is not safe for trans kids anyway. Happy Independence Day. And then her mom, his mom, Kimberly Shapley, says she's resisted moving for all these years until she realized that one of her sons, her other, her other children, a nine-year-old son, Caleb, did an article about his brother or sister, Kai, saying we're worried they're going to take mom away. You know why? Because mom has been doing this to the kids. It's a war on gender. It's wrong. All right, folks, that's enough of that. We're going to go right next to the Grand Council with Jeff Poor and Yaffe. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national covering down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it's, uh, believe it or not, hour number three, which, golly, this show has flown by. But uh, uh, great guests, guests, good content, and uh, now hour number three, where we're going into one of my favorite things. We do it every week at 4 o'clock on Wednesdays. We call it the Grand Council, where I bring in two brethren who do talk radio, uh, and, uh, and we ping each other with questions and see how we do. But uh, let me just call the roll for a minute. So uh, Jeff Poor, host of the Jeff Poor Show on FM Talk 1065 down yonder in Mobile, and the executive editor for 1819 News. Is you here? I am present. You are indeed. Thank you, sir, for being present. And then also, uh, taking uh, the spot that's normally held by council member Dale Jackson, we got Yaffe, host of the Yaffe program on the uh, mornings on WVNN, 770 AM, 92.5 FM out of Huntsville. Yaffe, are you here with us? I am here. You are. Thank you, my brother. All right. Well, I pronounce a quorum. Boomer, hit it.
0: Assemble the Grand Council.
1: But <laughs> uh, All right, we are in. I'm going to say, Jeff Poor. first question, what you got?
4: Uh, This just in, the uh, Facebook is announcing that it will uh, end its ban on Donald Trump, uh, and and that includes Instagram as well, for his role in the January 6th insurrection. Uh, Does Donald Trump come back to either one of those two platforms? Uh,
1: Yaffe, you want to take it first?
0: I'm gonna say yes. I've heard that he's getting frustrated with uh, Truth Social not being as successful, and I think eventually he's gonna want that attention.
1: I I mean, I look at it and think, first of all, why'd you name it Truth Social? I get what the name means, but it doesn't like it doesn't flow off the tongue, if you know what I'm saying. Um, But uh, but I, you know, I don't know. Part of me says he almost has to admit he's not getting his message out on his own platform to do it. But then again, he he's a communicator. He loves the fact that he can tweet or Facebook something and the whole world sees it because they want to know what he's going to say or do. So uh, I'm going to say at some point, at the very least, if he's truly running for president, his consultants are going to say, Mr. President, we at least got to get your campaign back on the uh, on these platforms. Jeff, your question, what do you think?
4: I, I guess I, the, 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 the true so, what he does at True Social's History, how much money have they sunk into this? It is just not a... Uh, it's not a very good platform. It is and you can't the lesson here, guys, is this you can't build a social media platform around solely politics. It just it sets itself up to fail.
1: Uh that's that's an interesting point. I think we can almost spend a half an hour on that alone. I had not even thought about that. But you're right. If he's coming in just for purely politics and and there's nothing there about culture or about, you know, someone's grandma's birthday or, you know, whatever, then yeah, that makes sense. All right. That was too easy of a question. That felt like non-controversial. I mean, I almost felt too smooth. I'll tell you what, let me go with this one. I, I got the next question. So just a little while ago, while we were on the air, and in fact, they're on the screen right now talking about it again on one of the, uh, the, the, the tubes up here on the wall. Uh, Biden has announced that the U.S. is sending 31 of our Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Uh, so among all the other things that we've provided, uh, to include the HIMARS missile systems, the billions and billions of dollars, now we're going to also send... 31 world-class M1A1s, I think, Abrams tanks. There's are different versions. Your thoughts on this? And by the way, why is it controversial for some conservatives to support Ukraine? Uh, Yaffe, you first.
0: Oh, man, I feel like the second one, <laughs> second part of that question could take a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. um, I, um I, I tend to be like you, Phil. I tend to really support Ukraine. I think um, as long as we can make sure that the money's going to the right places in Ukraine. It'll be good. I don't think sending tanks is going to be some kind of massive escalation that leads to nuclear war. Some tend to believe that. I I I am not there, at least as of yet. So I think overall it's gonna be a good move.
1: All right. Uh Jeff Rowe, what do you think, bud?
4: I'm marginally skeptical here. I, I don't I don't like it. I I am not I'm not. I'm ambivalent on either way here. I I don't buy this notion that we got to do all this because if we don't, China's going to invade Taiwan. I I think the world's a much more complicated place than uh, basing these decisions on some kind of symbolic gesture or whatever this is. But uh, I I do. You know. On the other hand, you know. I mean, are are we even ready to defend our own homeland? Uh, Do we have that kind of military preparedness? So. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to create some significant escalation, but I am really genuinely curious the justification that of our national security interest here.
1: Well, so I, I look at it and, and, you know, I've said it on the show before. Um, I'd like let you have, you said, I I, I want to see some accountability. I want to know for a fact that when we send dollars that they're actually being spent in a, in a, in a responsible manner in which they were intended. And we're not just throwing, you know, money to the wind here, but, but Abrams tanks, that's, that's an escalation in terms of us sending armor. I mean, that's a confrontational weapon that has the capacity to uh, turn things. I mean, we've been taking out their tanks like crazy. We have learned so much about their lack of capabilities. And uh, and this is going to be the one of the first true major potential tank-on-tank tank tank warfare has resurged in this war. And to see what Abrams can do, and these aren't even the latest variants, but to see what Abrams can do against T-72s and others, uh, is going to be interesting, but I think that um, I think that if we just let Putin march, if we had never done anything, that we'd be looking at NATO being next, or the Baltic states being next, or whatever. But so, at some point though, we got to figure out what. Uh, what I don't hear from the Biden administration is what is the end state? W- when when does this stop? In, in our, and I, and I'd better not be boots on the ground. That's that that concerns me. All right, that was that was too easy. Is it because Dale's not here? What does yes. That- <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was the easiest question. <laughs> what happens when Dale's not here? Things run smooth.
1: <laughs> I know. Don't, nobody's yelling at each other. I mean, love broke out on the grand council. Used to always say down in Montgomery, bad things happen in the Senate when love breaks out. So,
0: <laughs> well, I, I will say this, yeah. Phil. Yeah. I, I don't think you really answered your own question. You, you are you, do you think it's a, a good? Now are you? Picking it up? <laughs> Did you do you think it's a good move to send the tanks, or are you worried about the escalation? Because you admit it is kind of an escalation, but is it a is it a good escalation?
1: Uh, what I would have preferred to have seen is um, um, more Leopard tanks coming from Germany as opposed to Abrams tanks from the U.S. I think the the Abrams tanks are fueled by jet fuel; they're turbine engines, whereas Leopard tanks can be fueled by something far far easier. I think we're doing something that is almost symbolic here. Uh, it's going to work. They're going to be able to use it, but now we got to also supply them with fuel that they didn't ordinarily have on stock. So there's going to be aspects of this that do not make sense in the big picture. Um, but we're trying to make them make sense. Uh, so I, I, I think there's a little bit of symbology here as opposed to true war fighting, uh, and good logistics. But, uh, so there, how you like that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, one reason I, I really wanted to know is because y- you obviously know more of the ins and outs, the details when it comes to something like that. So I was honestly like, okay, he, he would know. And, and, you did you you had some of the details some thoughts on it. i haven't really heard anywhere else
1: well i'm gonna wind up having 15 text messages in a minute that are gonna tell me i got it wrong but (laughs) 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 all right boomer take us to a break man we'll come right back round two of the grand council coming up jeff poor from fm talk 1065 and 1819 news and yaffe from the yaffe program on uh, wvnn 770 am 92.5 fm out of huntsville and me y'all stay tuned we'll be right back back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. Going back to round two of the Grand Council, we've got uh, Jeff Poor from FM Talk 1065 down on the coast, as well as being the executive editor at 1819 News, and Yaffe from the Yaffe program at WVNN, 770 AM, 925 FM out of Huntsville, Fellers, round two, Jeff, you got the first question, what you got?
4: Uh, the guys at AL.com are lighting themselves on fire. Uh, Michael Bennett, a U.S. senator from Colorado, is going to freeze Biden's uh, Pentagon appointees over the Space Command Headquarters, it's supposed to be in Huntsville. What do you make of it? I uh,
1: uh I, I, I
4: I I am very skeptical that this is uh, a, the, as big of a deal as they're making it out to be.
1: Well, I, I think AL.com can take a fly and leave. It's like AL.com never wants the state of Alabama to succeed anyway. Um, but uh, I just got an email in my inbox, literally, just, I I saw it during the break, Um, and it is uh, from um, Tuberville's office, and I don't know if you saw it yet, Jeff, you probably got it in your inbox, too. Yeah, if you may have it, Um, but it literally is addressing AL.com's article uh, from Yaffe's office, and pointing out that, um, basically, the senator ain't sitting still on this, and don't think for a second you can jam this up. I'm I'm paraphrasing in a big way, because it's a pretty robust uh, email. I mean, like, they put this thing together, Cody Sargent from the Tuberville's office. And what they basically said was, good luck, dude. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't see it happening. I don't think they can, not without uh, creating a firestorm in the Republican-controlled Senate. Uh, Yaffe, what do you think, bud?
0: I have been pretty concerned about Space Command and possibly them trying to change it. I think a lot of this is trying to convince Biden to change his mind on this it's it's like ale.com and what's going on in Colorado it's just them themselves trying to say no, no no this is not fair this is not fair hoping Biden will listen and for purely political reasons decide oh uh, all of a sudden oh okay never mind we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna bring it to Huntsville but I think there's too many things in the work right now that hopefully it it's still come to Huntsville I don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon.
1: This is going to be like having to deny that someone is biologically male because they were born that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's right. It's just there's no way. Jeff, your own question. What are you thinking?
4: Well, I, I was kind of, uh, you know, uh, wasn't Mo Brooks supposed to be the reason that this was going going away, that, that Mo just didn't play this game very well, and, and Mo was terrible? And, uh, you know, every day that Mo Brooks was uh, in, in Congress or a threat to be a U.S. senator, Space Command was going away. Well, not now that Mo Brooks has been dispatched to Buck's pocket, uh, I, I guess they were wrong about this one.
1: <laughs> I, I never truly heard much in terms of like official statements on mo brooks but I, i'll be honest with you i, I the, the only way they can the only way they could possibly jimmy this up is to find true grounds to overturn all of the prior you know uh, r- reports and studies and everything else that have been put together the the constant reviews they've had to go through i mean we've got everything's in place it's just down Bye. to the secretary of the air force pulling the trigger and that's where we are
4: well, let me just say this. i was basing this on uh, Kyle Whitmire, who's fighting a world dumb. Uh, my friend Bill Britt, Josh Moon. Uh, th- th- those are the people telling me that it was uh, Mo Brooks that was going to cost the Space Command.
1: Well, Jeff, if those are your sources, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I just, I thought, I, I, thought maybe they were right this time. I guess uh, he, what? is he,
0: is he winning no. that war? Is no, he? Uh...
1: He is not winning that war. In fact, <laughs> I think it's an internal battle. To be honest, <laughs> exactly. Um, your question, Yaffe. What you got next?
0: So the debt ceiling fight continues. My question is who blinks first? Do the Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, do they blink first or do the Democrats and especially Joe Biden the White House, do they blink first in terms of okay, if Democrats blink they're willing to negotiate, if Republicans blink they just kind of cave in and raise the debt ceiling.
1: Uh Jeff, you
4: first. Uh, I I think there's going to be some kind of um, – and this is how it always goes, though, right? There will be some kind of shutdown, and then uh, for whatever reason, Republicans who, or whoever the party is that's not in power, which in this case is Republicans, will will inevitably have to give in. But uh, it depends on what they get out of it, I suppose.
1: I, I, think, I think you're going to wind up seeing some measure of compromise. They're going to get some kind of cuts on something, claim that that was the cuts they were looking for sign off on the debt ceiling increase, and, and then probably move on. And I hate it, but that's probably where it's going to wind up being. So uh, I, I, so Biden's going to give something he doesn't really care as much about. Republicans are going to claim it as a victory, and then they're going to move forward. And uh, that's, that's what I imagine is going to happen. Yaffe, yeah, your question, what you got?
0: I tend to agree with you on that, Phil, although it could go down to, like, the last minute, which means – The Democrats, even if they negotiate a little bit, they'll get this big time media victory because the media will say it's the end of the world if we (laughs) default on our debt. And then all of a sudden, um, Biden will kind of negotiate and they'll spin it as instead of Republicans winning, they'll spin it as Biden was the reasonable one saving the economy.
1: Ah, ah, I, 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 yeah, I I think you're there. (laughs) All right. right. Hey, listen, uh, last question of the day, I think. Um, All right. So. The whole paper chase, you know, the Biden paper scandals, we got we got documents. I mean, they're, they're showing up in sock drawers and they're, you know, finding them in the driveway and they're hanging from trees. Anyway, Biden's got classified documents scattered hither and yon. I heard somebody called him the Johnny Appleseed of classified documents, just scattering them everywhere he goes. Um, that being said, all of a sudden, I think it was yesterday, Mike Pence comes out and says, oh, hey, by the way, fellas, I found some classified documents at my house. What is the backstory on this? Why is why did this happen with Pence? Is it because he's just a stand up guy and he wanted to be there and say, look, fellas, I I'm I'm guilty too. We're all just, you know, sinners in a sinful world. Or is he is there a backstory there like trying to save Joe Biden or mitigate overall? Somebody explain to me what the backstory is from your perspective. Jeff, you first.
4: I, I think uh, Mike Pence was probably gonna sell military secrets to China. Uh, <laughs>
1: I, I think <laughs> you heard it that, first on Right Side Radio. The
4: uh, arch villain of Republican politics, Mike Pence, they caught him red handed. He thought he was going to get away with it, but if it weren't for those meddling guys at the National Archives, he would have.
1: <laughs> wow. Jeffy, <laughs> <Gaffey>, your thoughts?
0: <laughs> I don't know if I can top that, but um, I tend to think he probably. Some are saying he's doing this to save Biden, but in a way, doesn't it just save Trump more? Because not only did Biden show it, okay, they found some of Biden, so there's no way they're going to prosecute Trump now. Now they find it with Pence, Pence and Biden. There's definitely no way they're going to prosecute Trump over this, but they're probably not going to prosecute anyone. I guess I'll give Mike Pence the benefit of the doubt, though. I don't think it was some kind of grand plan. He probably wanted to get this out of the way ahead of time before his run for president.
1: If Pence is doing something, here's my thought, if Pence is doing something that actually benefits his position or or the conservative position here, then I think it's there are they were looking at the idea that Biden may wind up just getting kind of run out of town on a rail by his own people and now he just threw him a lifeline, which oh, keeps the doddering old guy in play as the candidate they may have to compete with in the uh, next campaign, which is good for Republicans. So part of me is thinking, don't let them run Biden out. We want to save him. We want him to be the candidate. Well, that that's thats my conspiracy theory on the good side of things. Uh, I don't know what else it could be. At the same time, it also just felt weird. This, it just felt freaking weird. All right. Closing comments. Anybody got one for the good of the order? Check your text messages. Oh, take it. <laughs> <laughs> wow the uh i heard a text come through but i i did not realize it was one of the men on the council i am uh literally seeing somebody oh nice. what, what, what? no 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 I can't say it we uh, uh are you gonna say it for us jeff or am i gonna say it what do you want to do
4: uh, I, well it depends on what it is i'll, I'll let you uh, it is your show indeed
1: well i just got to we just all got a text it's like um,
0: inside baseball. I know, kind of inside
1: baseball. Here. Mo Brooks just texted us and said, FYI, according to someone very prominent in Space Command, location decision process, his efforts, Mo Brooks' efforts, were a major deciding factor that got Space Command in Alabama. Bam!
4: See, How's that it, for a you're, show? you fill it office, guys, this would not even be an issue, I'm telling you. <laughs>
1: Hey, Yeah, thanks for sitting in for us. We appreciate you. YAF, the YAF program, WVNN, 770 AM, 92.5 FM out of Huntsville. Jeff Poor, executive editor, 1819 News, FM Talk 106.5 in Mobile. Appreciate you both. Have an amazing night. All right, guys. Wow. That went by fast. Super fast. Nobody got mad at each other. <laughs> so nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's fun having that. Uh, take me to a break, brother. We'll be right back. All you right-side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. Here we go. up. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain Plain right, covering down on some ground across the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about we are way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to gas and parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Hey, uh, folks, uh, I got somebody on the phones. Before I go to the phones, though, let me do this. Um, yeah, so Riley and Jackson Law Firm. Riley and Jackson is doing an amazing job, at, they have been for years, at helping people who've been harmed by the negligence of others to, to you know, be made whole. And so if you're looking for an attorney on the issues that, that, that affect your life, it could be negligence, it could be an auto accident, a personal injury of some kind. You may be one of those who was at uh, Camp Lejeune uh, uh, between 1953 and 87 exposed to water contaminants. Well, they're working that case. 19 different illnesses related to that water contamination at Camp Lejeune. You may be one of the firefighters or a military individual who used firefighting foam that was exposed to the carcinogenic firefighting foam. Riley and Jackson's work in that case also. They're based in Birmingham, but they work statewide, and they will assess your situation over the phone. They'll give you a perspective on where you stand, whether you have a potential claim. They won't charge you for the phone call. I know these people personally. I've worked with them on cases. I've worked with them on issues. But they're a solid group of lawyers, and they will they will work with you in a personable way. And, oh, by the way, when you, when you go there, just know this. You don't have to live in Birmingham because they work statewide. Here's their number. I'm going to give it to you right now. You ready? Their number, 205 879 5000 That's Riley and Jackson. Do do tell them you heard about it on the right side. And the number is 205 879 5000 Riley and Jackson. Just tell them you heard it on the right side. And no representation made of the quality legal services. Quality legal services are better than some other lawyer down the road doing something else in the legal world. Good I stopped timing you. <laughs> okay. Because I lost I lost my I lost my place and I had to go ahead. They're they're not saying they're better than some lawyer down the road, but I am. All right, so there we are. Uh, Hey, I got somebody on the phones real quick. Let me go to uh, a friendly neighborhood, JTAC, from Athens. Are you really a JTAC?
5: Yes, sir, Mr. Williams. How are you
1: doing? Uh, I'm good, man. Thanks for your your service. Uh, Thanks for calling in uh, close air support when needed. Appreciate you.
5: Good. Uh, I I had called into you, I think, about this time last year, but it's been a while. I've been faithfully listening, but I just kind of wanted to weigh in on the Mike Pence classified documents situation. What you got? If you'll indulge me. So, I mean, you've clearly dealt with not just secret, but TS documents. I've done the same, and we've been brought up in that kind of world where we're given training upon training on how to handle it, how to address it, how to carry it, that kind of thing. What we got to remember is that we're dealing with elected officials. And because the greater American public elected these officials, they must be granted a security clearance. But they have not been brought up through the same process Mm. that we have. So while uh, a former sub-team member might accidentally post a photo of the inner workings of a sub and gets prosecuted and discharged, our elected officials are not held to that same standard. So I have a hard time getting really spun up about our elected officials who are in a very important position where they can incidentally or intentionally, in some cases, leak national secrets. But I think the song kind of brings me to my point on Mike Pence. I think Mike Pence saw the house burning down around him and was like, okay, let me make sure my house is not going to catch fire because we're talking about the kind of man that would not meet with a woman without his wife being present. That's true. He wants to absolve himself of any kind of potential uh, issue that can be brought out into the public light. So I think he did a collection of his own personal house, and he found stuff. And as much as we want to believe that, Mr. Pence is a lightning rod of ultra-right doing the right thing. I think what we've got to realize is our elected officials are not held to the same standards. Some of our military members, our agents, they, honestly, it's all sloppy. I mean, we, we've yeah. got this stuff coming out with Biden, the previous stuff with Trump, and now even Pence. Like, it, our elected officials need to better understand the kind of documents, and intelligence that they are dealing with.
1: Well, and so it's, it's here's universal. here's a, I'll, I'll add some commentary. First of all, I agree with you. They did not have the upbringing that those of us who've had to work with classified documents in a much more confined and regimented setting had. But here's the thing, like even when I was in the state legislature in Montgomery, we were required by law to go through mandatory training on ethics and ethics violations and how we can handle our campaign finances. You know, there's all kinds of things out there that that structure even the life of an elected official. So I I, got to tell you, I think when they're at that level, especially and Biden was up there 40 years. I mean, I think Biden has got complacent. I think he got he got entitled. I think Pence may have some of that, but I think Pence was accidental. But I do believe, though, that they know what classifications mean and they understand the gravity of it. They just didn't shepherd themselves well and but yet they, I, I don't think they ever weren't trained. I think they had to go through mandatory briefings, debriefings being read on and read off. And uh so uh, it's a hard call, man, but that's that's where I I see it going.
5: And I do agree with that. I just I think there's been a history of politicians not being held as accountable and oh, yeah. military member or a US agents. So oh, yeah. to them it's like oops, I kind of messed up, I'll still be fine and get reelected.
1: I totally agree with that. And that, that double standard has to stop. Um, right. All right. JTAC, thanks for calling in again. Don't wait a year, bud. Call in again sooner. All right. I'll 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 try to do so. Thank you, Mr. Williams. All right, great all right. See you, man. Take care. Um, what a great audience. Uh, so, all right. So you know what? I'm not even sure I'm going to get to dipper number three. John from Huntsville is going to give me a C minus for the day, I'm sure. But... Uh, but he's already given me grief about my lengthy disclaimer was four point seven seconds. <laughs> yeah, and he also gave Mo Brooks an A plus plus. Did he give Mo Brooks an A plus <laughs> plus? All right, he did. Mo, you got an A plus plus from John from <laughs> Huntsville. That's that's big doings. Um, but I, so you know, go back to this thing and and our JTAC friend. By the way, go go look go look up JTAC J T A C and see what that means because that's the heat. But. Um, I I I agree that there's a there's a perhaps a differing level of I don't know how to put it uh, making it part of the frontal lobe of your thinking when it comes to classifications. Elected people walk in the door, they get handed their clearance, they have to have briefings. I know this for a fact. They have to have briefings on what it means to have this intelligence, what it means to have this dossier, what it means to have this classified. They know what it means to have various levels of classification. But I do agree that elected officials too often don't come from the background that says, I get it because I was raised in uniform where basically, you know, it was treasonous if I walked out the door with a document. Um, But I look at what's happening with Biden and I'm looking at what happened with, you know, Snowden. And I'm thinking, Biden is Snowden. This is ridiculous. He just literally had documents where he felt like. And no one can explain yet why he had them at the Penn Biden Center and when they got there, because the Penn Biden Center didn't exist until a year after he left office. No one has explained yet why he had documents that dated back to his time in the Senate. The Senate, which he left in 2008. The Senate, which he was in for 40. How far back do these documents go? And, and no one can explain why they were in cardboard boxes and in desk drawers and, you know, and just place it just kind of randomly. It, it, it indicates, and, I, you know, what I understand of, of, of Pence's situation is these were boxes that were packed up for him by his aides and they were still sealed. And he hadn't even, I think in one statement he said he hadn't even unpacked them yet until he saw all this news. He thought, I guess I better go through the boxes. So that feels different than what we're seeing with Biden. Trump. Trump believed he had the authority to have the documents. Trump's issue was not that he wouldn't turn them over. Trump's issue was he didn't believe he had to turn them over. And so the negotiations were ongoing, but he acknowledged the documents were there and he kept them under uh, lock and key as directed by the archives in a facility guarded by the Secret Service. Biden's got stuff laying in closets at, at his office that no one goes to anymore, He's got stuff laying in cardboard boxes in the garage next to his Corvette. He's got stuff in desk drawers and in the library somewhere at his house. I mean, you look at this and go, wow, what the heck, man? I mean, at some point, didn't you see the classification cover on there? But we also have a picture, and if you haven't seen it, go look. And I do not it's real. I don't think it's fake. There's a picture of Biden taken in the White House, Uh and, it, and it's out there in, in the public domain, and it has him standing there with his arms in front of him holding a code word protected folder. And you can clearly read it, code word. Well, even the code words are considered classified. So, yeah, when you've got this stuff, and I said it yesterday, when you've got stuff, you can have five things because we don't know what all they pulled in this last round when the FBI went and searched his house, and they still haven't even searched his beach house. But when they search his house, it says they came away with multiple items of which six bore classification marker. Why did they pull multiple items? I'll tell you why. Because some of those items, when taken in context together, create classification on their own. You can have this thing that means nothing, this thing which is an open source news story, this thing over here which is someone's personnel record, and then you put all three together, and suddenly you have a classification issue. So what he probably had... And by the way, the, the highest classification then of the package is the highest classification of that single document that made them classified. So he may have one email that took five other things and made them a classified package. And we don't know yet. We don't know. But I'm saying when they take items, items, what's an item? What's well, a dossier? Or it's a box? Or it's a file full of stuff? Or it's a thumb drive? Or whatever. Whatever is on or in or with that that is classified at whatever level that sets the level for everything else all right uh, we're gonna take a break right now by the way I am getting corrected <laughs> on I'm not a tanker but my recollection was Abrams because I've been stuck behind an Abrams that is burning at turbine and roasting my vehicles um, but my recollection was that jet, jet fuel is the, is the common but I'm being told you can fuel them up with cooking oil I'm like what Brian from Huntsville needs to call in and talk to me. All right, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right, except maybe where it involves fueling an M1 Abrams tank. But uh, we'll get to that in just one moment. Got to tell you real quickly. Just Love Coffee Cafe, with two locations in our listening area: one on Hughes Road in Madison, out towards City Hall, and the other on South Parkway in Huntsville, down yonder by Whole Foods. I'm going to tell you right now, man. It, you you just need to check them out because, you know, maybe maybe you're just tired of the same old same old for lunch. Let me suggest to you, they got sandwiches, they got wraps, they got salads, they got, do they have coffee? Well, it's Just Love Coffee Cafe. So yeah, they got great award-winning coffees. They got the dry roast, they can grind the beans fresh, they can make you the good stuff there. They got the treat coffees. Charlene calls them, the cappuccinos, the lattes, the espressos. But y'all, their food is epic good. So you might want to check out Just Love Coffee Cafe for lunch tomorrow. Just tell somebody, you know what, we're doing something different. And head on over there and get a bite. And by the way, you can hang out, enjoy the environment, and use the Wi-Fi. They've got it set up there where you can bring your laptop, do some work from there if you want to. It's it's just, listen, Just Love Coffee Cafe is worth checking out. Tell them you heard about it, by the way, on Right Side Radio. Two, ro- two locations, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. Right Side Radio likes Just Love Coffee Cafe. Uh, all right. Hey, uh, by the way, Abrams tanks, 31 Abrams tanks being sent by the United States to Ukraine. Graham from Meridianville, I was talking about getting stuck behind an Abrams one time uh, on a, on a, a, a route in, uh, in Baghdad, and I was just roasting. And this guy, uh, Graham from Meridianville, says, I remember standing behind an M1 tank in the middle of winter, naked, taking a field shower, never got cold. <laughs> uh, Tony from Piedmont says, everything burned JP-8 downrange. Humvees didn't like it. It was too clean. So I got on the line right now. Brian from Huntsville, a frequent caller to the show, uh, constantly providing good commentary and contributions, but he was also, by the way, a career tanker. So I need feedback. Brian from Huntsville, set me straight here. What's the deal?
6: Well, I remember at uh, different times uh, I would we would put stuff on the back deck at the grill, which came out about 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit at the at, at the initial point. Yeah. And we roast corn. Yeah. While we were on that reforger in Germany. And, uh, but still at that point, it would burn almost anything. It would not burn the low grade diesel fuel from Russia, which at that point, that was our, uh, that was our out for. So. Uh, but it, it, but, but it was, a, it was high grade diesel fuel all the time, diesel.
1: Okay, so so we're not talking about an alternative fueling with with like uh with like you know air, aircraft fuel uh, for Abrams tanks. For some reason, I thought that turbine engine was actually an aircraft engine. Am I wrong?
6: Well, it is. But you could do the diesel. You could do the JP four. You could you could do more than that because it would it, it, straight gasoline. It would burn anything
1: okay so in ukraine i mean in your experience having you done reforger so you've been in europe in ukraine what are you expecting in terms of the ukrainians receiving these abrams tanks and just on the refueling side alone what do you think problems no problems
6: maintenance maybe but as far as fuel no not a bit
1: okay wow okay solid conservative and almost always just plain right that's, uh, that's where we are today. All right, then let me ask you this, then, uh, my armor brethren. Um, Abrams tanks going to Ukraine, game changer, big deal, or just another opportunity for us to take out a few more uh, T-72s?
6: Uh, I don't see any problem with T-72s, but I see some problems as far as my mental uh, items going on as far as sending those over there. M1A1s, not M1A2s.
1: Yeah. So these are A1s? Uh, I was going to ask you if you knew. These are A1s? Yes. Okay. And where are they coming from? Are they coming from our stocks, or are they coming from something that's already in a uh, NATO country's hands? Do you know?
6: Uh, Well, from some of them, NATO countries. uh, And I guess you know that Egypt has a lot of M1s in
5: stock.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do, and we got a lot of prepo, uh, preposition stuff over there in the Middle East and in um, in Europe, of my understanding. So I didn't know if it's coming out of our uh, war stocks or or somebody else's.
6: I do not know that. If it would be, it would be from the National Guard because when I was in, it was the M1A1 that was the main one, but now it's the M1A2 and A3.
1: So in your so. experience, then too, what what's the spin up time for someone who's never been never served on an Abrams tank, but they've been a tanker on something else? Um how how long is it going to take to get a Ukrainian tank crew up to speed and capable of being effective in an Abrams
6: Well we got a uh a language differential if it was the same language 3 months because I went from the M60A1 to the M1A1.
1: Oh, okay. And
6: uh, that took that that took 3 months, so probably uh, I don't know. 4 months, 5 months.
1: Okay. So assuming the language barrier can be resolved, you still think it's it's a 90- to hundred day process of getting a crew familiarized and, and actually effective at, at operating one of these weapon systems?
6: That would be my assessment. But then the nice thing about the M1, A1, and A2, A3, it's a German gun, like the Leopard. That's how it's pronounced. Uh, leopard tank. Uh, it's still, that's... The reason that we went to it, to where we could, uh, how, how, how do you say it, uh, be have the same ammunition, so you, and everything, and that
1: goes all the way back. So you can cross-pollinate the yeah. ammunition. You can basically take, you know, something out of an out of, a, out of a, a German leopard and fire it out of an, uh, an Abrams tank. Is what you're saying? Precisely. All right. Okay. Well, brother, we'll see what happens. More to come. Announcement came out today, but. Uh, Brian, thanks for your service. I don't
6: have to shoot anything.
1: Well, yeah, that would, that would be ideal. We'll see. Um, all right. Great call, man. Appreciate you. I knew that would bring clarity. I knew as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I thought, I'm not a tanker. I'm an infantry guy. And someone's going to say, he's wrong. And I got, by the way, I got multiple texts. I got guys who served in, um, oh, gosh, I got, I got CAV guys. I got armor guys. Uh, and then John from Huntsville that says, A1 tanks must run off steak sauce. all right you guys great show hey tomorrow i'm looking forward to it uh state senator clay schofield majority leader in the alabama state senate will be in studio with us and and round two of boomer and mcqueen yeah you guys stay tuned we'll see you tomorrow Right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right.